Thank God for his spirit. Amen. We're going to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Last few weeks we've been talking about relationship. We touched on marriage because there was a correlation between marriage and the relationship between the church and Christ, the church being the bride of Christ. And so we brought out just a few things. Again, it can be very extensive when you're talking about uh, the topics that we're talking about. And ultimately, we're talking about putting life back into perspective. You can go on and on when you look at different aspects of life and how in our society today things have been taking, taken way out of proportion. It's been blown out of perspective. And as we go along, unfortunately, the same mentality is creeping into the church. And we have to be careful not to allow ourselves to be distracted and lose focus on where we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to be doing. Amen. The Bible says we have been called out of darkness. We are no longer children tossed about. We're not we're not ignorant. God has given us. An ability to be able to see clearly, walking into his marvelous light as he exposes the things around us and exposes truth to us. The truth is meant to liberate us, set us free. Amen. And so we have to be sure that we stay focused and we don't lose sight of that. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, I'll begin with that verse. It says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering for he is faithful that promised without wavering for he is faithful that promised verse 24 and let us consider one another to provoke unto hatred and to evil works Is everybody in the scripture with me? To provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Today we are talking about fellowship. We talked on the subject of ministry. We brought out, again, how you have to be engaged, be a participant. We talked about relationship, how that is important. And we are talking about fellowship today. We'll be talking about leadership last, and that will kind of wrap up our our series that we've been doing about putting life back into perspective. Um and then we'll be we'll see what else God has for us. Uh, so that should be ending on the end of August. So let us continue to talk about this fellowship. Fellowship. What does fellowship mean to you? When you hear the word fellowship, what does it mean to you? Spend time with someone. Okay, gathering of the saints together. What you got, sister? Being friendly, okay. All right. All right. Brother Terry? All right. All right. Being together, being in unity. All right. What you got, brother? (laughs) He said, yay. All right. (laughs) Helping each other. And all those things 
are, if you actually look in the dictionary to define fellowship, you'll find what all of you have mentioned. Those terms or even uh, the synonyms for the word fellowship. Companion, together, friendliness, you know, all those things are in there. All right. So obviously we get that fellowship somehow involves togetherness. Being together, follow me, being together. Now, most people will say when we gather together, you know, we all come together for a common cause, right? And that's great. Come together for a common cause. But the common cause has to be one cause or one purpose when you're talking along the lines of the church. Because in the world, we can gather together in one place and still be very diversified in our reason for being there. But as a church body, we come together not for what's common, but one purpose. One purpose, and that is to do what? Worship God, to glorify God. Now, let me say this because I know sometimes, you know, even me growing up, you hear terms like worship and praise and, you know, and it means different things for people when you go different places praise and worship for some it means you know the evangelical service in the morning that's praise and worship when we sang and so that's praise and worship service okay but worship is not just a one-time event it's not just a reoccurring visit worship involves your whole life look at some of these other countries and what the religion that they have or whatever religion they have they live that out Everything they do is surrounded. You look in their home and they they have all these other trinkets and everything else up because that's what their belief is. That's what their faith is. So they live this thing. They believe in all the things that they were being taught in that religion, that if I do this, it's going to impact this way. So I got to make sure I live this way, have this up, yada, yada, yada. If you've been Catholic, you know, there's some things that you got to do, you know, things you put up in your home, so on and so forth. You got a cross, you got all these beads and all these other stuff that they put out there. And people, you know, and they'll ask you when you come up there, you know, if you've ever been Catholic, you know, they'll come up there and they'll, they'll ask you. When you go to take communion, are you a practicing Catholic? You got to say yes or no. I, never, I, <laughs> I went to one service. It was a sunrise morning service or whatever, and I just was going because it was part of the chapel service, and I was just trying to be supportive to the chaplaincy and so on and so forth and make sure they understood that UPCI people are not crazy. We're just devout. So I went. And then they had communion. I said, well, I know about this. Surely I could take communion. Walked up. This happened to me twice. Walked up, had the chalice out, and, you know, the priest says, I get in front of me, he says, hey, are you Catholic? No. And he wouldn't let me take communion. They won't marry you if you're not a practicing. No, we're not going to marry you. So there are some people who live this thing. That's, it's their life. It should be no different for those of us who say we are baptized believers believing in Jesus Christ as the one and true God. This is worship is your life. Now, praise everyone can do. The Bible says, let everything that has breath, what? Praise the Lord. Now, praise is a part of your worship. So when you say you're worshiping God, that encompasses praise. Everything you do for God is worship. Because you're literally rendering your life to God. That's what worship is. That is the essence of worship. You're rendering your whole life to God. Okay? So praise is a part of that. So you don't have to try to, you know, distinguish between the two. Praise is a part of worship. When you worship God, you should be praising him. Amen? Now, everybody can't worship God until they get Born again until they are in the spirit. The Bible says you got to worship him in what? 
spirit, and in truth. So everybody's not in a position to worship God. I'll put it like that so nobody leave here thinking, oh, Brother Miller said everybody can't worship God. No, everybody's not in a position to worship God, but they can be. But everybody can praise him. Trees can praise him. Bugs can praise him. Everything that has breath, praise the Lord. (laughs) When you see the trees swaying back and forth, they're praising God. The waves crashing, praising God. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Now, (laughs) bullets, no, I ain't. No. <laughs> Amen. So, worship is a part of is is a part of your life. Now, when we come together as people of God, we come with the intent to worship God. Now, when we say we come together, obviously we're talking about a physical presence. Not a VTC. That's a virtual te- uh tele tele Whatever that thing is, I can't remember the the rest of the, but that's a that's a connection that you virtually connect through. You, I see you on just like FaceTime. I see you on FaceTime, or I see you on DCO Connect, or I see you on something else. You know, that's how we gonna connect. Can you imagine if we did revivals and everything else by distance, like everybody in their homes? But you know, you got one person, one preacher. He he just preaching to everybody else's home out this one screen and everybody all over over the world and some of the locals sitting at home on their couch watching service now if you can't get to the service then yes i understand it's great to have that tool but that should not be the only way to connect so the devices that we have is great you know like i said before you know we've got phones i mean phones we've just evolved to these phones do everything you don't even need a computer no more you can do everything on your phone so what's that they call them smartphones iphones uh i forget the other ones android thank you those are the three main ones out there that pretty much perform the only difference is that you can make a phone call. You can make a phone call on a computer, but that's through Skype. You have an app, but they're designed to make phone calls primarily, and then they add all the other functions on there. So, it's, I mean, again, it's pretty neat when you can check your email on your phone, you're on the go. Remember when you had to sit down at a computer and type, if I ain't at the computer, I'm at work all day. I'm not going to see your email until probably bedtime. Right? But now you have the option. On a lot of these phones, you can... Now, they take up space, so that's a whole other thing. But anyway, those that have like 2,000, 3,000 emails. So, anyhow, these devices come in handy when you have to do something quick, when you have to connect, you know, you know, you can't, you got distance, that's a, that's a factor. All those things, it's pretty, it's, it's really good that you can pick up, call someone, and pretty much in real time, you're talking to them. They're talking to you. You get your point across, you relay what you need to relay. They're states away or maybe even a world away. That's phenomenal. But it becomes a problem when that becomes our only source of connection to one another. And unfortunately, that's becoming the case. Everybody knows about Facebook, right? So Facebook is one of those things that, you know, they had Twitter. They got Twitter. They got Facebook. They've got um, uh, Snap, well, Snapchat. Yeah. They've got, uh, what's the other one? Instagram. They got all those other ones out there. There's one I, I can't think of. But <clears throat> they got all these different venues out there for people to be able to connect. Now, out of all of them, the one I've heard a lot of negativity about is Facebook. Facebook, again, it's a good venue to be able to, you know, connect with people, your friends, family, so on and so forth, share memories. You know, that's not even how what it was designed for originally, but that's neither here nor there. But people are using it. 
but people are abusing it. I post something. First of all, let me say this, and I guess this is a good setting to say this. I'm not the pastor, but I don't believe that people of God should be going out there and just saying any and everything on Facebook. It's still a representation of who you are. If if you especially, it doesn't matter how you feel about the government, you have to be careful what you say. The Bible tells us to live peaceably with all men. So as children of God, we have no business going out there and commenting on how we don't like the government. You have the right to feel how you want to feel. Amen. We have our take on it. But when you go out there and you start posting stuff, you're putting yourself out there, but you're discrediting your witness. And then they associate you as a Christian with every other Christian. Christians are crazy. You start going out there posting stuff about how you hate homosexuals. Guess what? Now you the representation for every Christian out there. That's ammunition for someone to come and say, just again, we need to take away the privilege and the influence of Christianity or the Christian world because this is what we get. We are giving them ammunition when we do stuff like that. It's out of character. Jesus never spoke evil of the dignitaries in Rome. Find one place where you see him talking evil of them. The only ones that he addressed was the Pharisees and the scribes, the one who knew the law and were con- they were convoluting the law. That's who he was addressing. They tried to catch him one time and says, hey, who's in script? You know, should we be giving uh, tribute to Caesar? Ah, so y'all trying to catch me up on this one, huh? I love Jesus. To me, Jesus was so smooth every time. Just calm and collective every time. He says, you know what? I don't know why y'all tip me with this. Let me see this. Let me see this coin. Y'all see this, right? Y'all see this coin? Whose inscription is on? Whose face is on here? Caesar. Well, here's my response to you. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Uh, Caesar. And give to God what belongs to God. Well, how can you misconstrue that? You know what he was saying? Let me tell you how that converts today. Pay your taxes. And pay your tithes. That was easy. I'm glad they put that in there. (laughs) You can preach on that, too, because it's Bible. Amen. But we have to watch. We have to be careful. Those type of things, when we're depending on those devices, we start abusing those devices. We start making ourselves look worse. The world is already trying to attack the church. The enemy already wants to. He's been trying to stamp out the church. You know what I love about it? 2,000 years and he still hasn't been able to stamp out the church. We're still going. You can't do away with the church. You might get rid of some members, but you ain't going to get rid of the church. It's not going to happen. God always has somebody that's devout, committed, dedicated to doing the work of the Lord. That's what's, That's so awesome. Amen? But we got to watch that. But... In this particular setting, when we're talking about fellowship, it's not talking about connecting from a distance. But at some point in time, there should be some physical interaction. I need to be physically present. I need to see your facial expressions. Some folks don't like confrontation, so they send something to text. No. If I want you to understand where I'm coming from, and if there's any confusion, if we're talking face to face, we can alleviate that right there. You send a message in a text, you might have sent it all caps, and you know they got all these different, you know, rules about how you send messages digitally. You send it all caps. Oh, he yelling at me. 
Why are you screaming at me? I just put it in all caps because it was easier to type that, so I had to keep going lowercase, uppercase, and then send something that was supposed to be uppercase that was lowercase. I just sent it all uppercase. That was easy for me. I'm not screaming at you. But these are things that get misconstrued. So what's the easiest thing to do? Face to face. If we see each other every week. Now, sometimes we forget stuff. So then we ring, ring, ring. Remember what we talked about? I forgot to mention. I'm the type of person, I, if I have an issue with somebody, one of the last things, I, 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 I try not to do it that way. I'd rather come see you face to face and we don't talk face to face. That's how I prefer to handle the issue. So for one, I know this is between me and you. Usually if I have an issue with somebody, I'm going to go to that individual first. This is between me and you. If I can't resolve it, then I'll go to someone else that I feel like should be involved so they know what's going on. In the church, you know, this was supposed to be the case. If you look historically... The things that happened in the church, the issues and the matters that happened in the church, they were judged by the church. They didn't go to the civilian law to to handle those matters. Now, if you broke civil law, then, you know, you had to go to civil court. But issues that were being addressed, if there were immoral issues or whatever the case may be, they were handled by the church. You can't have fun that now you got folks suing each other in the church. We've been going to church for years, and now you want to sue me because I stepped on your brand new shoes. We in people's court. Now we looking crazy. There's some more Christians. I knew they was all crazy. Forsake not the the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Some people don't like to interact with other people, some people, because they're trying to hide stuff in their lives they don't want to be exposed. This is probably one of the bigger reasons why we can't get church folks to fellowship together. Because I got stuff in my life that I don't want exposed, so I got to keep you at a distance. Is you might be more spiritual than I am. And if you got spiritual discernment, that means you're going to pick up on, you might. God might turn your channel and tune into what I got going on in my life. You know, God doesn't do things to intentionally embarrass you. That's not his aim to embarrass you. His, his aim is to help. But in some matters, he has to expose. If we don't correct the things that God's, because I guarantee you, I guarantee you before that even comes to that point, God is already dealing with the individual's heart between him and God or her and God. He's already prompting. He's already convicting. He's already bringing through that process. And the longer we say, well, I got it. I'm not going to change that or I'm not ready or I just can't do it. Okay. Because he loves us, he says, well, I've got to expose this thing. Because you're not going to take it to a point where you can get help. You're not trying to help yourself or you're not strong enough to help yourself. So I've got to expose this so that you can get the help that you need. This is God's intent. We look at it as God is trying to embarrass us. No, that's not God's intent. He wants to help us. And sometimes he has to put us in an uncomfortable position so that we can get the help that we need. Because he loves us. This, but see, some folks will misconstrue this. And so I come to church, I feel like the preacher's preaching on my issue, and guess what? I end up leaving the church because I feel like, well, the pastor, you know, I don't know why he's preaching on me. He's talking about me. The man of God just preaching what God gave him. But because God loves you, there's been times I preach something and I don't have a clue. I don't know nobody's issues. I don't really want to know. I ain't the pastor, so I'm okay with that. But then he gives me stuff to say, and you get some folks that's looking like, 
You can pick up. That's why somebody said you might as well just praise him like everybody else so nobody knows it's you that they're talking about. <laughs> but they're looking at you. You know, they're looking at me. And I'm like, I don't even know. Maybe. But I don't want to know. I don't want to know it's you. I don't want to feel like I'm preaching on anybody. But because God loves us, he will put it out that way. That's him using the man of God or the woman of God or whoever it is that's speaking into your life to reach out to you. And say, hey, I'm trying to bring you from something and I'm, br- I'm trying to bring you toward me. The thing that, that's keeping you from me is the thing I'm speaking about right now. So if we can get that out of the equation. That's why the Bible says, no man can come to the, fa- to the Father unless the Spirit draw him. The Spirit is drawing you, but it's got to take you through some things and it's got to bring you out of some things. Amen? But the easiest thing to do, and I know that we say it's easier said than done. The only reason why it's easier said than done is because we just choose not to do it. Do you know that there is no sin, there is no situation in life that you can't overcome if you make up your mind that you want to overcome? Think about this now. Think about this. This is what the world needs to know. This is really, this is one of the things that the world needs to understand. And in preaching the gospel, they need to know Satan does not even have the authority to do more than what God allows him to do. The only reason why he has the influence over the world that he has is because he somehow convinced them that they have no hope. And they have no control. That's what the scripture calls it being blinded. They just don't know the truth. But if they learn the truth about who they're dealing with, this addiction that that, that you have, you need to understand that you can overcome it. Here's how. Come into the truth, allow God to bring you into the light of the truth, and allow you to see just how much he loves you and what he has for you. Then you start looking at the enemy and saying, wait a minute, so all this time you just had me warped in my mind. The battlefield starts in the mind. Addictions only occur when habits are made. When you make a habit, you have a habit in your life, it becomes an addiction. That's what an an addiction is. But here's the thing about it. Here's the thing behind it. If you're addicted to something that's harmful to you, Because you could be addicted to Jesus, and that's all right. But if you're addicted to something that's harmful to you, chances are it's not just the thing that you're using or that you're addicted to, but there's a spiritual influence behind it. Here's one of the things I look at. First of all, if I'm drinking alcohol, I'm addicted to alcohol. The alcohol is killing me. But for whatever reason, I feel compelled to go back to the store and buy more alcohol or go back to the bar and purchase more alcohol. I've got to find some way to consume more alcohol. It's not because I physically want to. Even in my mind, it's telling me I've got to find a stopping point. But the problem is there's a spiritual influence in my life that I can't fight. You cannot combat the spirit with the flesh. That's why we need the spirit of God. That's why we need the Holy Ghost. That's why we talk about that. It's not just to make it feel spooky, you know. That's not what it's about. What we just, what we started out talking about. When you receive the Holy Ghost, you receive power. Well, why would he go through all of that? Why would he make that available to us? Because we need that to overcome the spirit. What did Paul say? For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. The real warfare is not based upon what you see. That's why you have to have faith. Faith is not about what you see with your physical eyes. It's giving you insight on the spiritual realm so you can understand what you're up against and what you need to do. But we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against spiritual wickedness. Right? 
It's what's going on in the spiritual realm, the things that people can't see, psychiatrists can't see, counselors can't see. Now, you got some Christian counselors, so I'm not taking away from that. But when you're going out and you're trying to get help, they can help you as much as they can, giving you medicine and everything else to try to rehabilitate you. But at the end of the day, you need deliverance. And that can only happen in the spirit. Amen. I don't even know how I got on all that. But we're talking about fellowship coming together. Oh, that's why. Because if we got stuff in our lives. There's nothing that should hold us back. All right. If you're fellowshipping with God, you're going to naturally feel compelled to fellowship with God's people. The scripture even talks about it in first John. You start looking at it. He talks about if you say you love me, you don't love your brother. You're a liar. You don't have the love of God in you. How can you love me who you don't see? And then you got your brother that you see all the time or your sister that you see all the time and you still can't stand them. So let's put it in perspective. What's really going on is you may not agree with everything that they're doing, or it may be a personality conflict. This is one of the other things that creates a barrier in fellowship. Between two people or more is a personality conflict. Let's face it. Okay, you like the color blue. For whatever reason in your life, somehow blue has impacted you a certain way, a special way than all the other colors. Mine may be yellow, pink. No, brother, you shouldn't be liking pink. Pink is a color. Look at how things have been taken out of perspective, though. Who made the colors? Don't be watching Pocahontas. Talking about colors of the wind. They ain't just show up. God made all the colors. Pink is a color. I wonder. I'm pretty sure you probably see pink or something close to pink or whatever in, in heaven with all the other colors that's up there that we don't even know names for. So if I like pink, that don't make me less of a man. Now what makes me less of a man is if I start dressing and everything in pink and my stuff start looking frilly. Now we got an issue. If I want to wear a pink shirt, I'm Okay. But if my shirt got ruffles and truffles, laces, <laughs> we might need to talk. Personality conflicts are one of those things that if you look at it, you look in society, you know, places that, uh, that I work and I watch how people interact. And we're going to bring out some of this other stuff when we talk about leadership, too, because that's important. But you can take two people and put them in a room, and either one, if they have the same type of personality, you would think that they'd be drawn together. We say they clash. They clash because one doesn't want to accept the other because we both recognize we're the same personality type, and there's only room enough for one of us. Now, that's the human mentality. Now, you laugh, but this is what happens in the church. You can't get two ushers to, to usher properly and focus on greeting the people coming into church because they got personality conflicts. Either they're the same type or one just don't like the other type. So now I'm too busy trying to outdo you, look better than you, make you look bad, this this happens. And we wonder why we can't impact people that's coming in that actually have a need. I'm supposed to be prayed up, focused on God, ready for whatever comes in through those doors. Spiritually, I'm a guardian for this facility. As an usher, I need to be ready. If you are if you are not entitled to come in here, you gotta go. Now, the individual can come in. They don't know what's going on, but you prayed up. You, hey, praise the Lord, how you doing? And all the while, you're still praying. You better get out of here, demon. I see you trying to sneak in here. 
They're coming in here because they're looking for something, and you're not going to hold them back from it. That's what the ushers should be doing. I'll take it a step further. That's what every child of God should be doing. You in the house of God, you need to be prayed up. Pray for the man of God. You don't know what's going to come out. Sometimes we get a little too complacent and we forget the purpose of why we're here, why we do what we do. When you talk about fellowshipping, you know, fellowship should bring edification. I think that's in here. I think we already read that. Talks about exhorting one another, right? When you are coming together, you're exhorting, you're you're edifying, you're building up. We come to the house of God. That should be the one place that we all leave here refreshed. Let me, I, I'm going to say this, and, I, and I'm not saying this to, to take away from anything. I know we have revival services and all these other special services, and I think they're great. But you don't have to have a revival service to leave the house of God revived. <laughs> I'm going to say this, and I, again, I'm not trying to be rude, but sometimes the saints of God leave more tired from the revival because they done cooked and they done did all these special services and songs and everything else. They just tired. Woo, thank God the revival's over. I mean, I had a good time, but it was just a lot of work. I'm not, look, I'm not, I'm not being ugly. I'm not. I, I appreciate revival services. I do appreciate the men of God, the people that, of God that come through are able to minister. It is good to have that fresh voice, somebody else coming in and reaffirming what God has already established in the body of Christ. So I'm not taking away from that. I'm not taking away from that part. But don't wait on a revival service to be revived. Every time we come in this place and you know what's the key to that? Expectation. What are you expecting when you come? I can tell you right now, for all the mothers in here, anybody that's been pregnant, you know when that baby's in there, you're expecting one thing, delivery. Seemed like a long time coming, but when that time comes, you're expecting a baby to come out of there. Don't give me no blank check. I mean, but that's that's the expectation that you have. I've carried this baby for for so many odd months, and I'm ready to deliver. I'm ready for I'm ready for things to be different. I'm ready to see what it is that I've been carrying, whatever the case may be. It's that same type of expectation when you come to the house of God. I'm ready to see what's gonna be what's gonna change. I've been carrying what I've been carrying for too long. It's time for a change. It's time for a difference. Amen. I'm ready to see this thing come to fruition. What is it that you have for me, Lord? What's the word today? Now, I'm not saying you got to wait till you get to church to do that. But when you come to the house of God and you fellowshiping with the saints, you done been at work and you've been dealing and fighting with demons, slashing everything else. You done been in battle. You come to the house of God. Everybody should be on the same sheet of music. Everybody in one accord. We should be just like on the day of Pentecost. You got to prompt nobody to clap their hands. When, when did we ever get to that point? David said, I was glad when they said unto me, I could hardly contain myself before I got to the house of God. I'm already ready to praise. You ain't got to prompt and prime me to praise God. I'm ready. Y'all singing songs? I don't even know the words, but I'm still praising God. I'm lifting my hands. I'm jumping. I'm shouting whatever it is because I'm praising God. I got a relationship with him. I may not know all the visitors. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Woo, thank God. I'm in the house of God with the people of God, and we all worship in the same God. So when we all leave, we should all be walking out the door smiling and just, you know, yeah, I'll tell you, regardless of how we came in, you know, we if we came in, there were some things that we had on our mind and heart. Sometimes you got concerns. But you should still leave with joy. When people, do you not realize there are people watching? I, sometimes I go out, there are people that are standing around and watching and paying attention. 
what we don't think about, they may be seeing. You walk out, I'll tell you what, there's no doubt about it when you see folks come out of the club. You know they've been to the club. You see folks come out of the bar. 90% of the time, you know they've been to the bar. What about the church? They coming out with joy. They coming out with peace. They coming out with power. Or they just surviving. Or they just tolerating it. I came to show up to check the block. I didn't come to see you. How you doing, sister? Can't stand you. Praise God. This is what goes on. So then souls that should be impacted by what's going on in the atmosphere, they are being influenced. Just not in the right way. Because it's confusion. So we got to be united. I like the word that the sister said earlier. United. Unity. And we're going to talk a little bit more about unity. We're going to talk about unity in spirit. Being united in spirit. Being united in purpose. There is no way that you can be united in the body of Christ outside of the spirit. We have a lot of differences as people. And there's nothing wrong with a difference in personality. There's nothing wrong with that. Whatever your personality is, it is. that's what it is. You know the beautiful thing about God? I love it. I mean, he, he, he's, he does things so perfect. You know, when God changes your life, and the Bible talks about all things have become new, it's talking about everything that's in your life, every, everything that you might have committed, so on and so forth, but he doesn't take away from your identity, your individuality. You are still who you are. He redeems you so he can use what he made for his glory. That's awesome. Now, some of the things that we claim as our identity is not our identity. That's what we've embraced as our identity because we, we accepted the lies from the enemy. This is who you are. And I've heard a lot of those comments made, and I used to make them too. Man, this is who I am. I ain't changing for nobody. I ain't gonna, I'm not, not going to front. I'm not going to be fake. It's not about being fake. Everything that God does for us, it's an improvement to where we were. So if there's something that God saw attached to our lives that was more damaging than helpful, God removes those things. He distinguishes. He discerns what is our actual essence, the pure essence of who we are versus what we have tacked on or accepted from the enemy. That is a change. The Bible, that's what the Bible talks about. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind he's got to convince you of what he has actually created you to be versus what you have accepted you are so my time is up but we will continue next week god bless you for being here once again we're going to take a 15 minute break for all you that just uh, visiting with us god bless you we're so glad that you came here fellowshipping with us today Amen. We're going to take a break and get ready for a dynamic service in Jesus' name. God bless you.